The gospel readings of cycle A are those that are recommended if we would have an elect, somebody who has not been baptized that is going to be entering the church. They are readings for the scrutinies, and I think perhaps with good reason because they give us kind of a pathway and an introduction to faith, inviting us to reflect where is our faith. And we'll see that in a little bit, but I think also the church in her wisdom gives us these progressively longer readings next week, it's even longer yet, to get us prepared for the Passion to, as we stand up in two weeks for on Passion Sunday and hear that Passion this year according to uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew. So uh, again, uh, to prepare us to, to listen attentively while we are standing that entire time. And as I said last week, we need to pay attention, and as I said before uh, a number of times, to pay attention to the little details. Last week I pointed out how that the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman's faith was growing, how she went from you, a man, a Jew, to uh, a prophet, to the Messiah, the one who is promised. And we have a similar pattern today. Uh, we have first this, this blind man who comes and Jesus encounters him, and it's, uh, the question is asked, well, who sinned, this man or his parents? And they're not asking about original sin, we'll get to that in a little bit, but they're asking personal sin, whose fault was it? Was, did this man do something in the womb that he was born blind, or did his parents do something? Did they displease God, curse God, uh, uh, dishonor their, their parents, commit murder, all these things, these, these actual acts of sin? Who sinned that this would occur? And Jesus answers, of course, neither. Sometimes evil happens. And we might trace that evil that happens to original sin, but that's very different than personal sin. Original sin is this broken relationship uh, with God that we are all born into, a relationship that on our own we can do nothing about, but God does. And God sends us a Redeemer and and uh, through the gift of baptism, we have original sin washed away while still dealing with the effects. So any evil is really a result of original sin. And there is an evil here. This man is blind. That is evil. Now, it's not evil for a rock, for example, to be blind, because rocks are not supposed to be able to see. But something that is able to see, something that is missing that ought to be present, is a natural evil. And this man has experienced this evil his entire life. Now, I don't know what kind of blindness he experienced, but we get the sense as we hear this, uh, especially uh, as the man himself says, it's been unheard of that anyone who was born blind would be healed and given his sight back. So it's not something that just a, a little defect of the eyes that a little medicine could take care of or, or a cataract that somehow could be removed. Maybe, as I reflect on this, maybe he lacked eyeballs completely. That has happened. Maybe there, there was something completely wrong with his eyes, that they weren't fully developed. And this natural evil that he's experienced... But the Lord points out that it is that the works of God might be made visible through him. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus didn't cause, we should back up, Jesus didn't cause the evil, but God allows the evil so that something greater will come, come about. Hold on to that thought to next week. 
as we hear of the poor man Lazarus, not the, not the poor man in the parable, but the poor man who died. But here, Jesus spits on the ground. There's a few times where Jesus uses spit, and, and there must be something special about, about that spit, and we know what it is, that he's the creator. He spits on the ground, he makes clay with the mud, and puts it on the man's eyes. Now, this is weird to use a nice theological term. This is the only time that Jesus does this, but if you think back, where else does God take clay? But at the very beginning, in the first creation account, God takes clay and he forms it into a a human form and breathes life into it. For Jesus to take clay, rub it on this man's eyes, he's completing what was missing in the very first act of his creation. From that first moment of his conception, something was missing, and now Jesus has completed it. Well, this is something only God can do. There should be a clue here for anyone paying attention that there's something special happening. But this man is brought before the Sanhedrin after he goes, of course, to the Pool of Siloam, which, as a side note, uh, um, the uh, ministry of, uh, in Israel that is in charge of the sacred sites has declared that the Pool of Siloam, the remains of the pool, and are now able to be visited and opened. They are closed to very small groups, uh, uh, and now it's open to a little bit larger groups and a little uh, more readily. So if you're interested, uh, you, you can actually go and see this pool. It was a very important pool in the time of Jesus. It was a gathering place, and it was southeast of the temple. It was a place where people went to uh, be ritually bathed. And so there would have been Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes, all sorts of people kind of milling about witnessing this. And that's maybe how they found out. And they question him. Aren't you the one? Yeah. No, you just look like him. Well, I don't know about you, but that's kind of silly. But can you imagine being so convinced that this could not possibly happen, that you create a twin of somebody in your own mind? No, I am the one born blind. How were your eyes opened? And he explains it. I will admit, uh, the first time I read this as a deacon, I had prepared it two or three times, and then I read it two or three or maybe four times at, uh, that weekend at Mass, and by the fourth time, I started taking on this New York attitude and New York accent. Look, I was blind, but now I see. He keeps coming back to that. And why that? He doesn't know how it happened. He doesn't know why it happened. He doesn't know even really who did this. But what he knows is that I was blind, and now I see. And each time he gets a little stronger with his, his uh, words, but something else is happening. Every time he's questioned, his title for the Lord changes. Did you catch that? Who healed you? I don't know. The man Jesus. He is a prophet. And then when Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? I am he. And he bows and worships. This is something that would be unknown of. You would not do this. It's not normal. It's, in fact, it's sacrilegious. It's against the Jewish laws. It's against the commandments. It's against having other gods before him, before God, to bow down and worship. This man understands that Jesus is God. 
understands the, the title that we so often might misunderstand to just being that Jesus is just a man among men. No, that isn't what Son of Man means. Son of Man is a direct reference to the book of Daniel, where the Son of Man is going to come in the clouds in glory. This blind man has a vision that sees beyond anything. And we see another thing happening. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they get more and more blind. Or they have sight, but they have no vision. And the question for us might be the same as, as for the Pharisees or the blind man. What is our vision of God? How do we see Jesus this day? Where on that progression of faith are we? And we need to add one that I have to admit that is hard to add, but this, uh, the scriptures wouldn't even envision, but one that our world has an answer for or gives as an answer to who is Jesus. So many will answer, well, he's just a fictional character. Just somebody made up. Somebody who didn't really exist, but it's a good, a good story that we tell our children to help them be good. Well, there's more proof of Jesus' existence than anything else. He's spoken of in the, the secular historians, not just the, the scripture, uh, not just the evangelists, and not just St. Paul, those who left, left letters, not just the saints who followed Jesus but people who did not follow Jesus. Josephus being one of, the, one of the ones, of course, he was Jewish, but rather secular in his thinking. Is Jesus just a man? Just somebody who was like us and happened to get a little fame, but that's about it? Or is Jesus a prophet? Somebody who speaks God's word? See, our Muslims, Muslim brothers and sisters would believe that Jesus is just a prophet. Muhammad, of course, would be the highest prophet in their, in their realm. That's the problem with Jesus being a prophet. And we don't believe, pardon the, the expression, but Muhammad is not a prophet of, of God. But Jesus is more than a prophet, even if he were. Is Jesus a teacher, just a disciple? or that, that we are called to be disciples, to learn from his teaching? Or is he the Son of Man, the Son of God? As later we're, we will see, of course, that Jesus is, as Son of God, is the Lamb of God, the one who sacrifices himself, offers himself to the Father to give us redemption. We need to ask ourselves, where in that progression are we? And where do we see Jesus? What's our vision of Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And the, the reason is it's very important. And once we recognize who Jesus truly is, that he is the Son of God, he is the, the, the Savior and the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, whatever words we want to use that are, of course, true but highly exalted, that he's not just a man, not just a prophet, not just his fictional character, then we need to tell others about it. And I think this man who was formerly blind gives us a good model, doesn't he? We don't have to go into detail about how the Lord did what he did in our lives or why he did it. We just keep coming back to the truth that we know. Look, I was blind, but now I see. It might be as simple as, I was lost, I was confused, I was hurting, and the Lord reached out to me. The Lord was more than, 
more than just a shepherd, but he was the good shepherd, as we hear in today's psalm response. He's the shepherd who searched me out, who helped me. We don't have to go into detail about why or how, but that he did. And keep coming back to that truth, that he is the Messiah, the Lord. Much like the woman at the well last week, he's told me everything I've ever done. All these things, all these ways are important for us to evangelize. So often when we use that word, or hear that word, we think it's some magnificent program. It's not really that magnificent. It's just telling the truth. This is who Jesus is for me. This is what he's done in my life. This is how I see him. This is my vision of him. And to call others, even if they have sight, to help them to see with vision who Jesus is truly 